0: Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, January 24th. We begin with a look at the continuing tensions between Russia and Ukraine. We speak with Andrew Rasoulis from the Canadian Global Affairs Institute for the latest on the ongoing situation, if military action is a real possibility or a diplomatic resolution can still be worked out.
1: Then it's a made-in-Calgary treatment for COVID-19 symptoms. We hear from Dr. Michael Sweeney of Resverlogix, a local biotechnology firm, for details on their production of an oral medication now into the the second phase of trials.
0: Would you be interested in a four day work week? We hear details on a new study from Queen's University that says many Canadians are, in fact, interested. And would benefit from adopting a four-day schedule.
1: And finally, it's our weekly segment aimed at helping you live your best life. This time out on Motivational Monday, we speak with Michaela Renee Johnson, psychotherapist, best-selling author and podcaster. Michaela shares her research on her quest to find the root causes of unhappiness.
0: Are we on the verge of a new global conflict? And what will the Allied response be should Russia invade Ukraine? With insight into the ongoing situation in Eastern Europe, we're joined by Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Good morning to you and thank you for joining us, Andrew.
2: Good morning, Sue and Andy. How are
0: you? Good. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, how likely is Russia to invade Ukraine and what's their justification for this military action and the buildup that we've seen in the region?
2: So um, right now, the pathway to diplomacy remains open. So I'd like to keep, stay focused on that. On Friday, um, uh, the American Secretary of, um, under, uh, Secretary of State Blinken and uh, Russian uh, Foreign Minister Lavrov had a, a reasonably successful meeting, it was successful in the sense that they agreed that the pathway would continue and that this week, this coming week, uh, the Americans would make a, a written response to the Russian demands. So that is the game that's actually taking place today as we speak. I would expect the note to be delivered sometime later in the week. There's a lot of uh, complex negotiations that the Americans must do now, both amongst their own government sources and, and also with allies. So, uh, so that's where, where it is now. The, the likelihood of invasion uh, of any sort right now, I would suggest, is uh, low, because everybody wants to see where the diplomacy is gonna take. And it is in no one's interest, not the Russian interest, nor anyone's interest, to have a, actually a war take place now. Um, there is still the prospects for this whole issue to be settled by diplomatic means. And so the question is, what's the issue? The issue is NATO enlargement and uh, in, in, in the competition of, for Europe, of the former Soviet space uh, between Russia and the west and this this is where this has been creeping over many many years since the end of the cold war as nato has progressively enlarged itself taking on new members and and they've gone right now with ukraine's request to join NATO right to the to the borders of russia um so the question is which way will this go uh and the diplomacy suggests that there would be some sort of uh, an understanding that would say okay ukraine uh, is not Realistically going to enter into NATO, the President has already said that at his press conference. So how can we package that up where NATO does not have to renounce uh, the right of countries to join the alliance? This is a fundamental principle of the rules based international order. and the Russians have a more traditional uh, uh, power play, power politics sort of view of the world and spheres of influence, and how do we assuage that one uh, without, without forcing them to, to to ratchet up the military context? And the Russians have said that they are prepared in extremists to use what they call military technical means, which could be anything from cyber to a, to a full-on attack. But uh, So there's many options they have.
1: Andrew, you said it earlier, and experts seem to agree that Russia at this point isn't likely to actually invade physically. Um, but right. the U.S. no doubt then still is pulling out their diplomats and other countries are as well. Should Canada be following suit? Is there, is there concern then that something may happen on the ground?
2: The the, the American uh, release, uh, the State Department release, says this is being done with, with, at their term, abundance of caution. Um, The European Union has decided not to withdraw their, their embassy staffs. Uh, and they're listening to Blinken today at the, uh, there's a meeting of your, of uh, EU foreign ministers, and Blinken will be briefing them on the situation, including the American decision to, uh, to withdraw non-essential staff. You have to emphasize the American embassy in Kiev will continue to function, uh, with, with, a, with, a, with the basics, with the basic staffs. So this is a, a, a precaution. Uh, should Canada do that, I, I, I wouldn't advise the minister either way on this. I think, they have uh, intelligence on the ground that I'm not aware of. And so these operational matters are best left to the professionals.
0: We have heard tons about the countries surrounding Russia and, of course, UN members. You know, but as far as anybody in Russia's backyard or anybody that is supporting Russia, any countries behind them with this move?
2: Uh, I'm sort of behind Russia. And yeah,
0: helping, yeah, yeah. Helping Russia as far as you know, with the similar cause and propping them up. Do they have any supporters with their the, this latest move?
2: Well, the, the uh, certainly the there's the China factor. Yeah, um, and and so you have to look at this in the, in the global uh, competition for power. It's a real international power play between the United States, leading the West on mm-hmm. one hand, China and Russia. And and Russia is in this position where some members of the West, like particularly Germany and France, have a policy to actually, they're softer on the Russians in this. And they're actually trying to uh, use diplomacy to draw the Russians away from China and back toward what they call the European tent. So there's that element in play, and then there are the sort of more hard-line Western uh, states, of which Canada is part of, which doesn't actually uh, want to do very much with Russia diplomatically, um, although that may be changing for Canada because uh, Minister Jolie uh, was off doing a lot of diplomacy uh, last week, and the Russians have now extended for, to her formally invitation to come to Moscow for d- discussions. So maybe the Russians see that Canada could play actually a mediating role in all this. So the game the game is very much in play. But yeah, the Russians have some support. The Chinese will back them up if necessary. But uh, but it's uh, it would be at a cost for the Russians too. It's not a freebie.
1: The eyes of the world are watching. Thank you so much for joining us for the conversation this morning, Andrew. Appreciate it.
2: You're very welcome. Uh, thank you for having me on your show.
1: Thank you. Andrew Rusoulis is a fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs.
0: Last week, Health Canada approved Pfizer's oral COVID-19 treatment and a company right here in Calgary is entering phase two trials of their own antiviral treatment. With details, we are joined by Dr. Michael Sweeney, Senior Vice President, Clinical Development at Reservor Logics. Good morning to you, Dr. Sweeney. Good morning. Uh, Before we get into this uh, latest uh, treatment that you folks are working on and uh, moving forward with, uh, tell us about ResverLogix. What do you folks do? Is this out of the ordinary for you, or is this par for the course, the sorts of things you folks do all the time?
3: Oh, it's part of the thing we do all the time. We're working to develop uh, what's called epigenetic drugs, which are therapies which don't affect the DNA, but affect what genes are transcribed and translated, and it's alterations in the genes that are transcribed and acted that actually causes disease, and we're actually working to modify that. We have been for many years. I suppose you could call it the software to the DNA hardware.
1: Oh, I like that. Okay, so, Doctor, could this be used (coughs) as a treatment against all COVID variants, ultimately, or does it get specific (coughs) uh, and target each one?
3: Uh, No, it actually is... (coughs) works against all variants because it reduces the expression of the protein which the virus spike protein binds to. And all of the viruses work via the spike protein binding to a protein called ACE2. And we reduce the expression of ACE2. But we have two mechanisms. The second mechanism is that once the virus has entered, it causes an inflammatory response. And that's what causes the uh, illnesses with patients so we affect both the inflammatory response and the virus entry
0: <laughs> all right we're 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 reading that you are in phase two of these trials so uh, for the lay person, well lay people like sue and myself what exactly does a uh, phase two mean and, and how far along you are at this point and, and when we could see something like this to market uh,
3: phase two is a medium-sized study <clears throat> looking at a specific population <clears throat> And we're working in Canada and Brazil, looking at the effect of the drug on patients with COVID in hospital. <clears throat> Generally, it will take. And if that obviously COVID, uh, things are sort of <clears throat> everything is resetting with COVID, and approvals are much more quickly and with emergency use authorization. <clears throat> but depending on the results of the studies, <clears throat> this the drug could be available late this year, early next year. <clears throat> Depends that, a lot on the results of the studies.
1: Well, that's good news, and and uh, thank you so much for taking the time and explaining it to us. Appreciate it, doctor. Appreciate your time.
3: Well, well no, pleasure. Thank, thank you very much for having so me thank Thanks so much.
1: Okay. Dr. Michael Sweeney, Senior VP, Clinical Development at Reservoir Logics. How do you say it, Andy? Resverlogics. Resverlogics. Thank you. Didn't well, he come didn't, out right. He
0: didn't correct me. I probably said it incorrectly, but he said there's no... There's no hope for Schultz, so let's, let's <laughs> let him butcher this word. Uh, but it's interesting to me because, yes, Calgary made viral treatment. Okay, it's in phase two. Great news. This is unintended consequence of the pandemic. And we've heard this time and time again of you know, upping our game when it comes to pharmaceuticals made on Canadian soil, made in Alberta, mm-hmm. made in our city. We've got the brains for it. Yeah, I think this is, is showing the spotlight on the fact that we need to have more of these sort of tech companies in here. Um, and uh, there's a great example of it right there, I think.
1: And hopefully the provincial and federal governments can get on board and get more of these kinds of companies developing drugs like this within our country.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Not get caught uh, unguarded again or flat-footed, if you will. A four-day workweek pilot, has uh, pilot project rather, has launched in the United Kingdom. Could we see a four-day workweek hop the pond and make its way to Canada? And what would be the impact? With the details, we're joined by Dr. Tina Dasens, Stephen J.R. Smith, Chair of Strategy and Organizational Behavior at Smith School of Business at Queen's University. Good morning to you, Dr. Dasens.
4: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for being here. We, we are very interested in the four-day mm-hmm. workweek concept here. Uh, you know. Uh, but um, I'm wondering, though, we have the five-day workweek standard here in Canada. When did the five-day workweek become accepted as the norm?
4: I think it was... Uh, always as far as I can remember of, uh, of being five days. Uh, I think it's been around for a long time and that's why it's like tradition and traditions as we know are very, very hard to change, you know. So I think that's uh, something to keep in mind. That's something that's been around uh, for a long time, probably at the early, I would say, 1920s is when I recall starting with things that were uh, factories in the U.S. and things like that. Um, that's when I would say it probably was if you look at the history of work. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so let's look at that four-day work week then, the, the pilot project launched mm-hmm. launched in the UK. I, I'm sure there are pros and cons to it. Let's start with the benefits because I feel like a lot of us can get behind this idea.
4: Sure, sure. I think and one of the things I also wanted to highlight at some point was also why are we even doing this now? Sure. What's the motivation for it? But let's get into the benefits and then we can come back to okay. that. I would say that we're seeing this being trialed in a number of places, Silicon Valley in the U.S., the U.K. for sure, uh, New Zealand, Finland, Iceland. Uh, lots of different places are actually uh, doing trials on this, six-month trials, four-month trials, things like that. But I would say one of the biggest um, benefits for this is that we're seeing a lot of employees exit the workforce. Um, Since, uh, you know, the pandemic, but even before the pandemic, employees are just tired. And uh, I think that, you know, people are looking to try and focus on well-being and how do we afford more self-care and how do we give people time? Because time is something that's super, super precious. So a four-day week affords you that extra day. And uh, it's been shown in research that was published recently in New Zealand that it actually provides a stress reduction of almost 45%. But the biggest benefit, I would say, well, two things. People talk about productivity increasing because people are are, um, getting more rest. Um, But company loyalty is one of the biggest benefits that's starting to be documented with this. So I think as companies look for ways to, you know, bridge that talent gap and keep employees this is something that's super important
0: so the motivation and timing we put that on covid then or in general Well, i think
4: think some of it was starting before but when i go back and i think what was happening pre-covid uh you know what we had was people always talked about the rhetoric was let's separate work and our personal life and I think what COVID did is it said, wow, that separation's not really there. We're integrating work and personal life. So so many people working from home, uh, doing childcare from home, uh, having increased stress, worrying about their mental health. And I think that uh, COVID accelerated a lot of things that people were starting to consider and think about. It's also that I think employees have a very precarious relationship right now with their employer. They're trying to figure out what that relationship is and how much commitment they're willing to make for the longer term. You just have to look at healthcare mm-hmm. as a huge example of this, of people, you know, record numbers exiting the sector. And so, how do we keep those employees there and how do we keep them productive and loyal?
1: And, Doctor, you alluded to it a, a little bit earlier. Are there other countries that are successfully using this model, the four-day work week? Yeah, so- so I think
4: Iceland for one is one that people look at. Finland is another. And what's successful there, I was reading about Finland, what's been interesting is they're doing a four-day work week but trialing out six-hour work days at the same time. So a four-day work week is not a compressed week doing 35 hours across four days, but having reduced work days as well as a reduced work week. Okay, okay. I think that's important for, yeah. For, yeah, for execution.
0: Yeah. Very much worth highlighting. I'm wondering though, uh, Dr. Dacons, could this model and in your experience and maybe in, in the research uh, be a fit for everyone? Because I know there's some people that might not be able to, uh, you know, they kind of stretch things out where others might be able to work efficiently in a four day period versus a five to get everything done.
4: Right. So that's going to be, you dove right into one of the big issues or challenges for organizations is who does it apply to and who's going to really thrive? Could it actually have an unintended consequence of adding more pressure for certain employees over others? And that we don't want. I think navigating the logistics of rollout is going to be super important. How you do it, who's included, what days do you stay open, what days do you close, are you open all days, but some employees are not there, all of that.
1: Well, we'll be watching this study in the UK, obviously, and see if there's any possibility of it happening here in Canada or across North America at all. We thank you so much for your time this oh. morning. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Tina Dacons, Stephen J.R. Smith, Chair of Strategy and Organizational Behavior at the Smith School of Business at Queen's University. Interesting concept. Yeah, ab- Some businesses absolutely. could obviously do it, some Maybe not so much. I don't know how we would pull it yeah, off
0: well, you and I it's it's different. I mean, that's a thing. I don't think a it's a one size fits all Mm-mm. and b we we've seen it here in the city. I know that the city of Calgary employees, depending on which department again, not one not everybody can do this, they have the option to work, and I think it's you know a couple of extra hours yeah uh, you know, throughout the week it it doesn't really add up to working ten hours a day, uh, four days a week mm-hmm. or something like that but they have the option to take the monday or the friday off. And I know a lot of the oil companies in town have had that Fridays off sure. or every second friday for example.
1: I mean, you can understand the research. 78% of employees with a four-day work week were happier and less stressed. Uh-uh. Duh. 63% of businesses found it easier to attract and retain talent with a four-day work week. Hmm. So, not surprising either of those things. Yeah. You know, could you do it at your job? Is your is your would your company even it's a good question. Even think about such an idea. There it I think is. it's it makes sense if you can if you can do it. I mean you need to get you need to be at the right job yeah. and make sure that the work is getting done,
0: but why not? I would suggest that some people I know only work four days a week, <laughs> even though they might even be present That's a good point. in the office. But you know what? I do like what she said, and we get a, a text here, a great one, that said Henry Ford started the five-day work week in 1926. I remember reading something about that, but to a certain extent, what she said is a tradition and the norm. Right. And that is part of the reason that we still have five-day-a-week uh, work, work uh, hours, because the way it is yeah it's the way it is and we're so entrenched in that aren't we it's just always the way we've
1: done it so let's keep doing it that way forever it doesn't have to be yeah you can find more you know ingenious ways of doing things that make people happier and more productive
0: well dr Dayson said you know in the end uh you know it does depend on you have to still wrap your head around that and will you be effective enough sure but it, maybe it was COVID, and she said this was t- talked about before covid maybe covid will be the impetus to to really introduce this
1: This is Motivational Monday, a chance to get you motivated today and beyond. Joining us this morning is psychotherapist and best-selling author, Michaela Renee Johnson. Good morning, Michaela. Thanks for being with us good morning soon andy how are you excellent thank you so much pleasure to chat with you i know you had uh, you gave yourself quite the uh, the chore through the pandemic you started researching the root causes of unhappiness boy that is a lot to unpack i'm (laughs) sure so can you break it down and tell us what you discovered
5: I did. Well, after 150 episodes of promoting a happiness podcast with all sorts of tips and tricks, I was finding out that people were still unhappy. And as it turns out, it's because everybody thinks you get happiness once and then you put it in your pocket and you've got it. Happiness is actually a constant reset. And the people who can tap into grit and resiliency are the ones that are actually going to have some success. And what I found out through the pandemic is there were two categories of people. There were the people who were barely surviving and there were the people who were thriving. And those people who were able to switch their mindset were the ones that had the success and actually made something out of nothing during the pandemic.
0: Wow. Okay. But again, like Sue said, there's a tall order. You really put yourself to work there. I want to touch on something. You've launched a new podcast and it's called But Why. Uh, Why did you call it But Why?
5: Well, I think that what happened, especially we saw this right prior to the pandemic, is people were really comfortable in their lukewarm lives. They were taking the status quo. They were taking the daily humdrum of the life that they had created, and they were saying, this is good enough for me. And then the minute that there was a setback, everybody panicked because they started to realize that the things that they thought were bringing them happiness were not. And so the But Why podcast is actually shattering all of the narratives that we create in our life to take a look at things from a different perspective because it's from that perspective that we can really tap into our inner truth and start to live our best life and not the ones that we thought that was bringing us happiness not the ones that we thought was bringing everyone else in our life happiness
1: so shattering that that narrative that that i like to call it the itty bitty shitty committee that's in the back of our heads always you know (laughs) telling us the negative stuff so you found you know kind of a way for us to move forward and beyond that and, and find that happiness then can you help us with it it's really
5: about mindset. It comes down to that there are two kinds of people. There's the kind of person that says it is what it is. And there's the kind of person that says, that's not what it is. And I'm going to go ahead and learn from this experience. I'm going to take what I need to take and I'm going to actually make my life better. So it's whether you have a fixed mindset, nothing's going to change. They are who they are. I am who I am. I can't do anything about it or a growth mindset, the kind of person that can look at this and go, you know what, this sucks today, but I'm going to make real sure that tomorrow is going to be better.
0: All right. I'm wondering, Michaela, and on Motivational Monday, we've been doing this segment for probably about a year and a half. Uh, One of the things I like to ask is uh, intrinsic or looking outward for motivation is motivation, in your opinion, something that we can drum up inside of ourselves, or do we have to reach outside for it?
5: You know, I believe that it, that motivation comes from everywhere. It comes from inside and it comes from outside. I can tell you as a mom to a young child, there have been a lot of days where I had no motivation to get up after a long night. And it, it's a matter of finding something either in, inside of you or outside of you that motivates you to get up and move. And, you know, sometimes... Sometimes we have to dig a little deeper than other times, and that's okay. And sometimes it just takes someone else looking at you and saying, hey, buck up, you're going to be fine. So I think it comes from both places. That's my experience.
1: Michaela, we asked you to come up with some tips that you can help our listeners to find motivation today and beyond. Can you uh, can you give us a few tips that, that will help us achieve that? <laughs> Yes. At the
5: start of the year, a lot of people like to set resolutions. And here's what I say. Don't set a resolution for this year. Don't even set a goal. Plan an experience. Tell yourself, you know, it's not about, I want to lose 20 pounds because then if you, you lose 19, you failed, right? Instead say, I want to experience a healthier lifestyle. I'm going to add a vegetable a day. Give yourself something tangible to shoot for. That way it sets you up to win. And secondly, Don't worry if you fail because failures are one of those things that actually lead to our successes. The most successful people in life had numerous failures before they hit the jackpot. So don't be afraid to lose. Don't be afraid to fail. That's what's going to get you to the right place or the place that you really want to end up.
0: All right. Your number two point, you're talking about switching your mind. Tell us about this. Yes.
5: So, so as we talked about earlier, switch your mind from a very fixed-oriented mindset to a growth-oriented mindset. And one of the ways that you can do this, you know, fixed mindsets have a self-fulfilling prophecy. It says, oh, you know, my friends never call me. So your friends never call you because you're kind of bummed out and not really someone fun to hang out with. So if you switch your mindset to a growth-oriented mindset, wow, my friends must be really busy. I should check in with them. Now you're changing your life for the positive rather than creating that self-fulfilling prophecy of a fixed mindset.
1: Michaela, in your view, how can we turn a challenge into an opportunity?
5: Every challenge is an opportunity by its intrinsic nature. We talked about intrinsic nature earlier or intrinsic motivation. So when you see a challenge, you have to say, okay. There's something I'm going to take from this, even if I don't love everything about it. So perhaps it's raking the yard, something as simple as that. You know, it's a challenge. I've got to get out there. I've got to, it's cold. I've got to get everything, you know, raked up. It looks daunting. And, and what I tell people is there's one way to do this. There's only one way to eat a cake. It's one bite at a time. So challenge is opportunity one bite at a time.
0: Let's talk about, you know, we all get down in the dumps, and I know that, you know, from your, your points, it sounds like you've got a mindset, you're kind of on a track, and that's what you're suggesting for people, but we have our days. Is there some kind of a quick fix or some kind of a turnaround exercise you can give to the listeners to, to get out of those doldrums?
5: Absolutely, two things. Number one, it's okay, feel it. Take yourself 10 minutes, look at the clock and say, all right, I'm, from 10 minutes from now, I'm gonna stop feeling sorry for myself and I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna change absolutely one thing, one simple thing that I have control over, I'm gonna start to change. So number one, let yourself feel it. And then number two, recognize that it's okay and have a little gratitude. So, you know, sometimes when, we, when we're when we feeling down in the dumps, it's, we like to continue to feel that and say, it's okay, I'm going to give myself 10 minutes, and then I'm going to find something to be grateful for about this. And gratitude is an instant mind shifter. So whatever you're going through, the moment that you tap into a space of gratitude, you know, my dad used to say, I used to worry about uh, having no shoes until I met a man that had no feet. And it's funny how gratitude can do that. It can really get you out of the dumps, it can pull you out of a dark space, and it can give you something to look
1: forward to. We only have about 30 seconds, but I want to mention that you also have a new book called Empowered, a motivational journal for women. What is it about journaling that can empower us? It's a private space where you can tap into yourself without anybody
5: judging you. And it allows you to go outside of the normal things that you kind of have to present in the world and be a different version of yourself safely. I absolutely love journaling and I, it, I promise you it got me through the pandemic and it'll get you through whatever you're going through.
0: Good stuff. Thank you so much for joining us on Motivational Monday, Michaela. We appreciate it.
5: Thank you so much. And they can check out that book at bufindhappy.com.
0: Oh, really good stuff. Thank you so much. That is uh, Michaela Renee Johnson, psychotherapist, bestselling author and podcaster. You can find her online at michaelarene.com.